Good morning, I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on current projects. For the first portion of today's show, I am sharing a recent conversation I had with Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona. I'm speaking with... Luke Smith, Development Director at Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona. Robert Jensen, CEO. Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona has a very long history in the Tucson community, but will you start off by telling me a brief history of Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona and its mission? We started uh, way back in uh, 1970 with physicians that would fix their patients and send them home from the hospital, but they weren't prepared to make their own meals. They weren't healthy enough yet. Mm So the wives of the doctors started delivering food to them. And since they were very specific dietary needs Mm -hmm. of the patients, the hospitals made the food for them, and then the wives would deliver them. And then that just grew over the past 52 years Mm -hmm. to today, where we serve over 110,000 meals last year. Oh, wow. uh, With 300 volunteers. Uh, to 600 different clients that receive our meals, and um, it just continues yeah. to grow. From what I, I understand, like it, it, you switched to Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona not that long ago to kind of encompass the region that you cover. What is the uh, service area for so, Mobile Meals? Yes, we did about four years ago make it. It was Mobile Meals of Tucson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go out to, uh, currently, we go out to Vail, and all of the metropolitan mm-hmm. Tucson area, and then as far down south as Nogales, uh, with expansion coming to the west out to Three Points and Cells uh, next year, okay. uh, and then uh, Benson, Wilcox, Sierra Vista, so we'll truly cover southern Arizona. Yeah. Uh, to kind of better understand who can benefit from the service. Will you tell me a bit about the the different meal options that Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona has? Well, currently we're limited by the the providers that we have and what Mm -hmm. they serve, but this is one of the reasons why we're building the new kitchen. We can offer more choices and a variety of uh, selections. Yeah, and we serve 10 different types of dietary specific meals. Everything from if you're a diabetic or you're a a cancer patient Mm -hmm. or you're a renal patient with kidney problems. So we have 10 different diets that we serve. So you had mentioned the new kitchen and, you know, you, you talked on how it's grown and expanded over years. And so part of growth is is change. And so what I saw is that you have recently purchased a new old building. And I'd like to hear a bit more about this new space and kind of the vision that you have for it. A big part of y'all, the, the vision of why we expanded Southern Arizona. Mm-hmm. Right? Because currently, we, like Robert said, we serve over 110,000 meals. But with this kitchen, we can more than double our capacity. And the need is growing you know, mm-hmm. constantly. We had we just coming off the pandemic, you know. And now we're with inflation, rising energy costs, and all these other kinds of things. It's really putting a squeeze on people that we serve. And they need the meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole impetus for this expansion uh, is to feed more people. Mm-hmm. That continues to grow, the need for those meals. And so since our mission is to feed people in need, we have got to evolve with the changing times. Mm -hmm. And our facilities, which are mostly local hospitals, they're tapped out. 
Yeah. We can't make any more meals. Therefore, we get waiting lists sometimes, and that's not. And when you have to tell somebody that needs food that you have to wait, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing. So this new kitchen build-out r- removes those obstacles. We don't have a ceiling that we're going to be bumping into. We can feed as many people as need and want to be fed. And that's the whole reason mm-hmm. for Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona is to feed people. Yeah. Everywhere. So where is the new kitchen located? 3355 South 6th Avenue in Tucson. It's the former El Indio restaurant right at 6th Avenue and I-10. So I'm going to imagine that you would kind of revamp what's there. You know, from restaurants, I imagine there's a kitchen there with workspace. (laughs) There were were two things that we were really looking for. Mm -hmm. One was a a restaurant that had closed down Mm -hmm. and still had all the equipment in it which El Indio did, and the other was that it, it was an older restaurant because older restaurants are big, and mm-hmm. we needed a big facility both to make our food and to have our administrative offices out in the dining room okay. of the restaurant. So what was the dining room now becomes offices, and then the kitchen will be remodeled. And, um, and then we got the icing on the cake by it's right at I-19 and Mm -hmm. I-10, which allows us to be able to service the large geographical area that we cover. So it it, it was the perfect place. Yeah, definitely a prime location. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm speaking with Robert Jensen, CEO of Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona, also joined by Luke Smith, the development director. I imagine that there's some work to be done on this new space. Do you have kind of a timeline of what you're expecting uh, with its development? We're already in, in, in full full go mode mm-hmm. here. Um, we just submitted all the plans to the city. Uh, we have uh, moved almost all of the equipment out of the kitchen for the remodel. Mm-hmm. We have started on a kitchen campaign uh, to raise the money to be able to build it out. And... Um, Somewhere in about June, we ought to begin serving food. Oh, wow. It's been yeah, some it's time gonna, coming, yeah. though, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've to get to this point. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> um, so something I'd like to kind of shift gears towards is, you know, to serve the community, you need the support of the community. And you, you brought up the building campaign to uh, build this kitchen. We're also tax seasons here. Arizona Gives Day is coming up. Share with me the ways that people are able to show support for Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona. Arizona Gives Day this uh, is coming up this April 5th and 6th. Mm-hmm. So it's a two-day event. And it's a big push for all the nonprofits of Arizona to raise money. And so if you'd like to give to Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona, you can go to uh, givemobilemeals.org, and that'll take you right to our Arizona Gives Day page, mm-hmm. and then donate an amount that seems appropriate for you. Anything will help because the clients that we serve are all based on a sliding scale in terms of income, and so any amount will help. It's, it is a great program for all the nonprofits mm-hmm. in Arizona, across Arizona. And when you give to one of these nonprofits, the money really goes a long way. For us in particular, 90 cents out of every dollar that you give goes directly to feeding people. It goes to the food. We only spend 10 cents on the dollar for all our infrastructure and administration. So 90 cents of every dollar is buying food and putting it in the mouths of people that need. So Arizona Gives Day is really year-round, and you don't have to do it on the 5th and 6th. You can do it now 
before, all the way up to the fifth and sixth. So that's just the date that kind of everyone emphasizes. But it's a great program. It really helps us out. Uh, We have a goal of $50,000 that we'd like to try to raise. Mobile Meals uh, does not bill the government for any of its our services. It's all done through grants, and foundations, and private donations. Mm-hmm. So we have to go out there and, and get folks to give us some money to be able to feed these people. And Arizona Gives Day is a great vehicle to make that happen. And since it's right around the corner, the Arizona tax credit, when you file your taxes, which is by the 15th, mm-hmm. unless you get an extension— Um, It's a dollar-for-dollar donation refund that you get, and so $400 for a single person, $800 for a household, and since we are an authorized nonprofit, uh, don't forget us on tax day before you file your taxes, and uh, we send you a letter with a code on it that takes care of everything for you. Mm -hmm. So. So will you tell me a bit more about some of the ways that people are able to show their support, even if they perhaps can't make a monetary donation at this time? Like what type of volunteer opportunities are available? Well, there's always three things that we're looking for. We're we're always looking for clients. And so if you know somebody who's struggling, maybe he's recovering from surgery, sick or ill, and just can't get out and get their own food, then refer them to us. And we're more than happy to talk with them and see how we can help them. And then volunteers. Summer's coming, and a lot of the snowbirds are heading back home, which is a big part of our volunteer force. So this summer, we're looking for people who can step up, give us an hour or two a week, uh, drive around their own car, listen to music, and delivering meals to really you know fascinating people mm-hmm. who have seen the world and are more than willing to share some of their stories and kind of uplift you at the same time. Almost like a mutually beneficial <laughs> meeting. Yeah getting to make that connection. Uh, So what is the best way for people who are looking for more information about Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona or perhaps they want to request your services? How do they get in contact with you? Uh, Well, you can do it the old-fashioned way and give us a phone call, 622-1600, and we can get you set up right over the phone. Or you can go to our website, just Google Mobile Meals Tucson, and it'll take you right to our website. And on there... Uh, You can learn all about us, and then there are applications you can fill out if you're technologically savvy uh, to either receive meals from us, to volunteer for us, or to make a donation to us. So the website has everything, but uh, don't hesitate to call that 622-1600 number, especially if you're not adept on the Mm -hmm. computer. Well, and sometimes it helps to just be able to speak with someone, you know, when you have questions. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and quite frankly, a lot of our clients that utilize our services would much rather speak with mm-hmm. someone over the phone, and we're perfectly happy to do it. Wonderful. Was there anything else you'd like to add on today? Just take advantage of this tax season and Arizona Gives Day and go to givemobilemeals.org and help us help the person out. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and that was Luke Smith, Development Director at Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona. I was also joined by Robert Jensen, the CEO of Mobile Meals of Southern Arizona. For the next portion of today's program, I'm sharing a recent conversation I had with the Tucson Botanical Gardens. I'm speaking with... My name is Matt Adamson, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at Tucson Botanical Gardens. 
Well, I'd like to kind of start at the beginning. Sure. So tell me about the Tucson Botanical Gardens. When did you open and some of the history? So Tucson Botanical Gardens, you know, we call it uh, an oasis or a gem in the heart of the city. And it has an interesting history. And early on, it's really the tale of a family and another interested citizen. So back in 1964, a local citizen and horticulturalist named Harrison Yoakum established the entity that we know today as the Tucson Botanical Gardens. However, at the time, it really operated just out of his home. And he had all kinds of interesting plants growing in his yard. And a small group of people that made up the original membership would come and they would meet. Eventually, they did find some temporary housing over at Randolph Park. However, as this is happening, we enter the tale of the other part of the story. Back in the 1930s, a couple named Rutger and Bernice Porter met, fell in love, and married, and then built a home on what was then the far east side of Tucson at Grant and Alvernon. And back then, Alvernon was known as Maple. And they ran a landscaping business raised a family, three daughters, and then in the late 50s, the, they were able to close the business and enter retirement. Uh, Rutger passed away in the 60s, and about that time, Bernice started imagining leaving their home and property to become the nucleus of a botanical garden. Oh, okay. So that's then where Harrison kind of comes back into the story, and in the early 70s, the home of the Porters became the home of the Tucson Botanical Gardens. And in 1974, it actually became uh, an entity of the city of Tucson. And much like the zoo, was run as a department of the city of Tucson. And then in the early 80s, 1983, it was sort of spun off as a not-for-profit okay. and has been run as a nonprofit ever since. So in 2024, we'd be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Tucson Botanical oh, Gardens. Well, not too far away. No. That's kind of beautiful how it was almost a... a Everything kind of just lined up to, to create the, yeah, the you, botanical you gardens. You had an interest. You had a, sort of a, just a locally interested group of people that loved plants. Yeah. And then you had this family whose you know business was planting, plants. and who wanted to leave a legacy um, of beauty and something built around their love of plants. So. Yeah. Nice synthesis. Well, part of uh, that legacy. Tell me about the the mission and vision of the Tucson Botanical Gardens. So. First, let me just say the gardens today is about a five and a half acre property. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unlike a lot of gardens elsewhere in the country that maybe have, you know, hundreds of acres and so large, expansive displays, sort of what was done years ago to maximize our relatively small footprint was to have many small pocket mm -hmm. gardens. So we have about 17 themed gardens that we'll talk about a little bit wow. later in our conversation. But today, the, the mission of the Tucson Botanical Gardens is to connect people with plants and nature through art, science, history, and culture. And we do that in a variety of ways. You know, sort of undergirding our philosophy is making sure it's a beautiful respite for the people, not only of Tucson, but anyone who visits Tucson from the rest of the country or around the world. And so we have 4,000 different species of plants on the grounds. Mm. Surprisingly, even though we are at the intersection of two major streets in this city, it is calm and beautiful of course there's a little traffic noise at the edges but you'd be surprised when you get deep into the gardens you really can be contemplative in a lot of these spots and so i really think beauty is what begins every day and a commitment to a beautiful peaceful setting you know we also want to make sure it's kind of a vibrant and vigorous place so we offer 
any number of educational classes throughout the year. Um, those can be things as garden-specific as learning how to prune trees to container gardening to learning how to cook. We have uh, a chef that comes in and teaches people how to make tamales. So we're using the gardens to engage people in ways that, yes, maybe have some connection to plants or food, but are places for people to come together and enjoy community and like-minded, you know, goals and, and things that they're interested in. Yeah, and it's kind of like you had mentioned before, the, the oasis aspect of the botanical gardens. So I'd like to hear about some of the gardens you had mentioned. You said there were 17 in 17, total. Yep. Tell me about some of the most notable ones to you. Sure. Well, I think, you know, we live in a time when people are trying to be really water conscious. Mm -hmm. So the Xeriscape Garden in particular is planted with, you know, largely native and arid adapted plants. So, you know, one thing I think that's interesting about all these gardens is people come in and get ideas because they're kind of yes. presented at yard scale. So you get some ideas for, oh, we could maybe do something like this in our backyard or that little piece of our side yard needs to do something. And, you know, the Xeriscape Garden is a great place to get ideas for planting beautiful but native or arid adapted plants so mm -hmm. that your water bill stays low and we're all kind of taking care of that very precious and limited resource that we have here. The Barrio Garden, probably our you don't use a, word, a qualifier with the word unique, but it is mm -hmm. the most unique and, and truly evocative of Tucson. You know, many years ago, the Barrio Garden was created in partnership with people in the community, local families that have been here for generations to really make sure we were being accurate and faithful to um, the traditions that go into making up a Barrio Garden and this, the way the space is utilized, the sort of found objects that make up what's on display and the kinds of plants that are planted. And, you know, we were so successful with that that we actually made a small scale traveling model and sent that to Washington, D.C. a couple summers ago as part of a display they were doing at the U.S. Botanic Garden um, from different gardens around the country. So another garden that's kind of signature to, to TBG. Often I call Tucson Botanic yeah. Gardens TBG. Um, you know, we have an herb garden so people can see the kinds of herbs that will grow in our climate, a huge variety uh, that is one part of the gardens where we have a display set up for people to really touch and smell and kind of really vigorously interact with the plants. Yeah, I could see that being kind of inspirational, getting to see like what you could. I've always wanted to have like my own home herb garden. Oh, you yeah. Know? yeah. Well, I think <laughs> broadly speaking, <laughs> the gardens do that. I think there are a number of plants that people are surprised will grow here. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, we'd rather they enjoy them at the gardens as opposed to trying to plant mm -hmm. them themselves because, you know, they may have been planted decades ago before people really started to be aware of our water use. And yeah. of course, as the city grew through the years, we were, we're all being more cognizant of that. So some plants we say, you know, please enjoy them here, mm -hmm. not necessarily plant them at, at your home. And then others go for it. You know, some cases it's a microclimate issue. We might have just a particular spot in the gardens that's particularly shady, uh, retains water particularly well. And so something will grow there and it might not in a much more, say, sun exposed, you know, yard somebody might have. Of course, we also have a children's discovery garden. So there's a place for families, especially with young kids, to find a place for them to play with some water and yeah. get some of that energy out. While Definitely. Lots of fun things to play with. There's ability to make music in there. And so a nice a nice place for kids to to enjoy the garden in a way that's appropriate for for kids. Mm -hmm. A little fun for the whole family. For sure. Um, so tell me about some of what's kind of currently happening at the Tucson Botanical Gardens. I had seen you have some active exhibits right now. One 
I noticed was seeing the invisible. Will you tell me a bit more about that one? I will, for sure. And, you know, the gardens, we have a number of gallery spaces. Mm-hmm. So in addition to our beautiful plant collection, there are always a number of different kinds of exhibits on display. So you're referencing seeing the invisible is this really fascinating augmented reality fine arts exhibit that we have on display. So about a year ago, we, along with 12 other gardens around the world, partnered with Jerusalem Botanical Gardens in Israel to create a virtual art exhibit. What was done is 13 different artists were contacted, and these are world-famous artists in a different variety of media, who all either created a work in a digital space or a pre-existing real-world work was digitized. These were all then embedded in an app, and then the pieces were all geolocated or locked in place using GPS coordinates at all of these participating gardens. So if you come and see Seeing the Invisible at Tucson Botanical Gardens, you'll use your phone or a tablet or something that you can download the app on. You'll follow a map around the gardens. You'll get sort of alerted when you're near a piece. You sort of move your device around so that it can help establish where the piece is, and then it will appear on the screen of your device. You can walk through it. You can look up and around it. All but one of them have a soundtrack associated with them. So they're really immersive and engaging as many of your senses as you can using yeah. you know, technology. And what was neat about this, these are pieces that we likely wouldn't have been able to afford to show if they mm-hmm. were real world pieces or to make sure they were secure or things like that. Mm. So this is a way to bring some yeah. very you know, high level fine art to the community. You know, for some, they're trying to get away from technology when they mm-hmm. come to the gardens, and that's fine. And then for others, it's just something else that enhances their visit. Um, and then we have several uh, sort of static art displays on display right now. We have a watercolor exhibit in an outdoor gallery. We have a botanical illustration exhibit in our friend's house gallery. Uh, local artist uh, David Conklin has painted a bunch of nature uh, animals, mods, et cetera, on display in another gallery. So a number of exhibits yeah. at any given moment in time. As we look over the horizon, probably the thing we're most excited about later this year, we're opening something we're calling Lights Up, which is going to be our all-new holiday show. So for many years, we've had Luminaria Nights and been beloved by the community for, you know, 30-plus years. And so we are using Luminaria as kind of as the base of developing this new program, opening this state-of-the-art light show that will be a curated walk around the gardens, um, of course, Mm holiday-themed. And probably, you know, a lot of it is still we want to we'll wait for the big reveal yeah. later in the year. But <laughs> just to kind of get people thinking about it, you know, right now, the beautiful walk that we have at the holiday season probably has about 100,000 lights associated with it. This new curated show will have more than a million. Oh, wow. So we're really taking going some. Big. We're going big. <laughs> and it's, it's going to be it really is going to be beautiful and something that, that people will want to do for sure. Yeah, and definitely. So, and since you said it is holiday, I figure there's still planning and you know oh, uh, process absolutely <laughs> so, no we're doing it right now we're, mm-hmm. we're working with artisans to create some of the pieces um different vendors we're already having to order a lot of these things because supply chain issues oh yeah you know gonna jump on that ordering early. now and we're imagining even having to start decorating as early as september because we're going to be you know decorating some of these 75 foot tall trees yeah it's, it's going to be a pretty involved process but oh, wonderful though yeah that's something definitely to look forward to for sure. especially because we love our lights our oh, christmas yeah. lights here in tucson <laughs> that's for sure tell me a bit more about some of the like community classes and programs that are available through the tucson botanical gardens 
So, and I think I alluded briefly to these earlier, but, you know, I was talking to our education director and she reminded me that we're going to have award-winning author Wynne Brown coming up talking about her book, The Forgotten Botanist, Sarah Plummer Lemon's Life of Science and Art. Uh, we're going to have a lecture by David Yetman, an American academic expert on the Sonoran Desert. Wonderful. He was yeah. just here for the Festival of Books. So folks like that come in, you know, periodically and open to the community and you learn about different topics. And I would say for your listeners, anything we talk about today, that your next step is to go to TucsonBotanical.org. You know, that's our website where all of these events are listed and people can get much more detailed information about what's coming, when, if tickets are needed, et cetera, mm-hmm. things like that. Because are some events open as opposed to like where you have to like sign up ahead of time? Correct. Or, yeah. Okay. Some some so some events are included in the price of admission. So you're mm-hmm. buying your ticket, you're coming in. Others are arranged so that there there's no cost. The uh, members or anyone in the community can come in to hear a particular talk. But they're all varied. So you'll have to check you know our event listings to see which of those kind of fit which parameters. If you if you have to buy a ticket to yeah. see it or if it's just open to the community. The Tucson Botanical Gardens, as you had mentioned earlier, is a nonprofit organization. And from what I gather, you you rely on volunteers to help do the work. Will you tell me just a bit about what volunteering is like at the sure. Tucson Botanical Gardens? And it is not hyperbole to say that we could not be open or certainly not be open and offer the scale of beauty and that we do without the mm-hmm. help of volunteers. I mean, they're essential to the operation. So we sort of have two tracks. We have folks that come in who want to volunteer and they have maybe a history of something in their life or something they're interested in. And they come in and help kind of with just a task or Mm -hmm. one part of our operation. So for example, we have a number of people that are Monday or Wednesday and they come in and help the gardening team. Mm -hmm. And generally that could be everything from some simple guidance in terms of pruning to raking up leaf litter, just kind of helping the grounds and the gardening team keep things looking beautiful. We've got people that come in and help us stuff envelopes to send out to members. You know, maybe we have a fundraising effort happening, and so people help us in that area. So what you're saying is you don't have to have a green thumb to volunteer. Oh, not at <laughs> all. Not Garden. at all. I think <laughs> the only thing you really need is just a desire to be involved and, and obviously some basic interest in the Tucson mm-hmm. Botanical Gardens, and we will find a niche for you. I think something that people, I think, are excited to hear about and, and maybe aren't aware that we have the volunteer opportunity our butterfly greenhouse and orchid conservatory, mm. uh, beautiful, you know, hundreds of tropical butterflies in there, and they'll be on display until the end of May. Because we have to control that space and make sure the butterflies don't get out, we sort of have like two airlocks at the end oh, of each yeah. building. And so volunteers help manage the flow of people in and out of that space. And so, I mean, what better? Yeah, what, you could can, be a butterfly can guard. Be a, it's like yeah. being in a little a little <laughs> tiny slice of jungle and you're talking to people and seeing butterflies for a couple of hours during a shift. And you can do it at a scale that fits your schedule. You know, some people come in maybe just once a month. Others mm-hmm. come in once a week. It's what level of involvement and time a person has. So volunteering, you know, that that's one angle. The other angle is being a docent. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a docent we would describe as even – Maybe a more trained volunteer, so someone who's going to get some additional training in the history, maybe the specifics about some of the plant collections. So I would say this is a person who's who's going to receive a, a substantial number of hours of training and then be able to speak confidently about a lot of the, the aspects of mission and, and operations that maybe a very narrow niche volunteer might not have that same you know, level of training. Well, is there anything else you'd like to kind of add on before we start wrapping up today? Well, you know, we talked earlier about the gardens and its unique properties and the the property gardens. You know, right now it's beautiful. 
mean, mm-hmm. we're in spring. Everything is blooming. And the way the gardeners plant the space, we had blooms beginning as early as mid-February, and we'll have stuff blooming into early May. So we kind of extend mm-hmm. our spring with the kinds of things that we plant. But as we look over the horizon to the summer, you know, the gardens is a great place to visit then because about 80% of our property is covered with um, shade. Oh. So we're five to seven degrees cooler than most of the rest of Tucson. And then we also have dogs allowed in the summertime. So we call it dog days and it runs from June 1st to September 30th. And folks are allowed to to come in with their dogs and it's a great place to safely walk your dog. And the cafe offers uh, little dog treats, you know, they have a little dog menu. So that might be something that is, appeals to people when they're when they're thinking of things to do in the summertime. Definitely. That's good to know because when you are in those dog days, the hot days of summer, last thing usually to cross your mind is like, oh, I guess I'm going to go outside for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But and we open good. early, too, oh, in the summertime definitely. so people can get there at the crack of dawn before it's too hot and walk around and then go back home and turn the AC on before mm-hmm. before 10 a.m. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but no, you know, I guess the only other thing I might mention is, especially for people who are local, you know, one way, uh, a really sort of economically feasible way to, to frequently visit us is to consider a membership. Mm-hmm. You know, when you you come and you and you feel relaxed, you you feel that sense of calm and, and nature does do that for us. It's more feasible and more economically affordable to buy a membership so you mm. can come frequently because, you know, things are changing. Things are different. Things are in bloom. So it, make it make it easier on your pocketbook. Get a membership and come as often as you like. Wonderful. Well, uh, before I let you go, uh, will you just share with me the details about the Tucson Botanical Gardens, your address, and sure. how to find more information? Sure. So we're uh, physically located. Our address is 2150 North Albernon. We're really on the southeast corner of the intersection of Grant and Albernon, right behind that big Vasa um, shopping complex. Our phone number is 520-326-9686, and there's an uh, information line there. And then uh, you can go to our website, tucsonbotanical.org. And, of course, we have uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those social media channels. social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, people can find us a lot of different ways, and we look forward to having them visit us. That was Matt Adamson, the Director of Marketing and Communications with Tucson Botanical Gardens. For more information about the Lifestyle Tucson program, you can go to the Sunday Mornings page at mixfm.com kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com.